Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of Platform Enterprise, the show that platforms Project Switch Empower. I'm your host, Rachel Donald, and I also write the Platform Enterprise newsletter, which ranges from investigations into corrupt corporations to political and cultural analysis. Head on over to www.platformenterprise.com to check it out and subscribe to get the newsletter and the podcast delivered straight to your inbox every week. On the show today is Ella Kagel of Supermarkt Berlin. Ella co-founded Supermarkt in 2010 as a platform for digital culture, collaborative economies and new forms of work. Today, Supermarkt increasingly focuses on the intersection of technology, money and society. In fact, they are hosting Money Lab Berlin this week, which is the 11th Money Lab uh, event, but it is the first in Berlin. Starting Friday, the event aims at creating space for utopias, experiments and radical ideas around an economy for the people and for the planet. Money Lab will present creative coping strategies and answers to the problems of data capitalism, platform monopolies and online surveillance, as well as modes of resistance. Google Money Lab Berlin right now to get your tickets. Anna, I will see you there. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, so, so excited to, to speak to you because it just looks like you guys are up to some really, really, really fantastic stuff. Would you mind giving an overview of Supermarkt? Thanks for the invite, Rachel. I'm glad to do so. Even though it's not so easy to, to really to come up with a, a very clear description of what Supermarkt is, because it's, it has turned out that since 10 years, Supermarkt is in a constant state of flux and it's very it's very difficult to really put your finger on where we actually stand because it seems that we are sometimes i have the feeling that supermarket is always ahead of me and i try to i try to to grasp it and make sense of it the the thing is maybe to to just reach out a little bit to the past and how it all started maybe then this helps to to make it clearer why I feel that. So 10 years ago, me and my two partners, Joel Sentimai and David Farin, we have both co-founded Supermarkt. We were taking a walk through the streets of Berlin and we discovered an abandoned grocery store with a lot of uh, retail uh, stores in addition to that in the neighborhood. And we thought, oh my God, how can this be like abandoned and not used, even though it's so close to the city center, only a couple of minutes from Alexanderplatz. Mm. And uh, it, it's 10 years ago, right? So this is, is something that you can't think of today anymore. This seems like a distant dream of another, of another planet. But yeah, it's just how it was. And then we decided quite spontaneously, okay, let's get in touch with the owners and let's see whether we can use that space for our cultural and tech program. So surprisingly, the housing company was really happy about us. And yeah, they, they, they just set up a contract with us that allowed us to use the space for a relatively fair price. And then we just kicked it off. And since it was an abandoned grocery store, the name just stuck with us. We just continued to be a supermarket. Uh, it was very easy. We didn't have to find a fancy name. And also, it turns out that this whole environment of, of the of, of the supermarket structure also turned out to be a perfect playground for what we were aiming at exploring in that time. And that was basically digital culture and its implications on people's daily lives. But then, and this is really interesting, it turned out that the year 2010, when supermarket got founded, when we slowly moved into the space, 
it turned out that this was was really like a it was a turning point uh, not only for us as founders of that place but basically for the entire world because these were the years after the financial crisis it was the moment when you know bitcoin started to become a thing it was the time of the protest movements occupy wall street it was also the time when airbnb uber and other companies that claimed to be or claimed to promote the sharing economy came up it was the start of cloud computing and many other digital services that we are surrounded by today and that define our daily lives and and it all happened around that time and we felt this is so interesting we couldn't call uh, this particular moment in time we didn't have a term for it or anything but we just wanted to give space for it so and that's basically what supermarket has been done until this very day providing space for interesting discussions and also actions around this 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 great shift that we are all part of and also not only um, discussing about these phenomena that we are surrounded by in terms of economy and tech development and its implications on social life but at the same time also trying to make sense of it collectively and trying to understand uh, what it is that um, we can do with these opportunities with this knowledge but also with the threats that are coming up so that's basically what supermarket is it's um it's both a physical space however unused right now during the covid 19 um, pandemic but we are mostly these days a platform where people organize and talk about money financial justice about new forms of organizing community currencies digital culture, and also the role of the arts and all of that. So it's like a, a mixture of different disciplines, of uh, different uh, collectives and communities working there. And I think the Money Lab Berlin also shows really nicely what are actually the groups and the themes that we try to combine. And this is, I would say, to put it in a nutshell, it's this combination of yeah, activism, arts and culture, and also knowledge transfer. So this is, is basically what, what we are doing at Supermarkt Berlin. Wow, that's amazing. That's, I mean, first of all, congratulations on running a project for, for a decade, because that's not easy, especially considering, you know, the, the economic crises that everybody's been through and the fact that people seem to have less money and less time than ever before. It's brilliant that you guys have, have flourished through all that. I want to ask why it was cloud computing and digital currencies and this kind of development in technology that you were so interested in following and in analyzing and why you think it's so important in our culture's development. Mm. Yeah, maybe because it was uh, it was one of the things um, emerging as a result of the financial crisis, which seemed to be most tangible and which seemed to invite people for direct action and for really taking things in their own hands. However, it's just the same as with the sharing economy, for instance. The entire crypto market also showed that it isn't that much difference from <laughs> the actual world of, of finance. It also gives, you know, it also has open doors for for hoarding money, for you know, simply making profit. But also, it's 
there is there is a lot of interesting development here. There are a lot of tools that people can use for themselves. We we certainly had you know all the time we had this this discouragement and disappointments looking at these phenomena and then figuring out that only after a short period of time they they resemble just you know the the big economy out there yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. they, they they haven't been that much different but while while I'm saying that I also noticed that there are still super interesting things happening a lot of it coming from the arts and culture and that's why we also always had a, one of our legs into that sphere and then looking at uh, universal basic income initiatives that uh, started prospering in 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 combination with blockchain technologies looking at people starting platform cooperatives which is an interesting way of implementing democratic control and distributed ownership into an organization. So looking at all these developments, everything where we found, okay, this is really interesting. This is, this is probably new. This enforces democratic values. It's inclusive. It's interesting. It's playful. It's creative. And it's maybe also open source. So whenever we could found, find attributes like that, we kept on following that. But we also we dropped topics simply because they turned out to be not so interesting anymore. So a classic example might be the whole uh, DAO, uh, distribu- uh, um, uh, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations hype, when, when that turned up. So we, we worked quite a lot with DAOs and we organized DAO learning journeys at supermarket. We really engaged in that field and then um, we realized that maybe after one and a half years, not so much interesting stuff was happening in our understanding. A lot of repetition, a lot of, a, a lot of problems around this, this idea of automatizing uh, social ties and behavior within groups. But then also uh, projects such as uh, the DISCO, uh, the Decentralized Cooperative Organizations, turned up and then we started to focusing on their work and really help them grow and this is also it's a little bit of of something i have figured while doing the work with supermarket over the last 10 years we are far from growing into a mainstream movement what we are doing is really picking those rare interesting things that you know that that stand out within so many other initiatives i think it would be great to, to focus on crypto, actually, uh, and on the money lab in this conversation, especially, I mean, considering like what's going on in the stock market, the past few weeks have been rocked by the, the whole GameStop game and Bitcoin has jumped this morning because Elon Musk tweeted something, you know, as usual. Um, but before that, I just want to, before we go down that line of questioning, there's a very sort of abstract uh, thing I want to ask you that you probably won't have an answer for because I'm not sure if anybody does. But you said that generally these small economies, after some time, tend to reflect the the, the large economy, the, the economy at large throughout the world. Why do you think that is? Oh, yeah, that's really, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know why it is. It's, you know, I, I have seen so many projects emerging and with all the enthusiasm and with a lot of, you know, 
there has, has been this immense need of communicating, of being in touch with people, friendships uh, evolved, infrastructures have been built almost overnight. But then there's always this, this moment after maybe one year or one and a half years when there is this certain fatigue creeping in. And then there is this turning point. Either there is money coming into the organization then, or there is no money at all, or maybe only just very little money. But money is a, is a, is a factor that is very, that's, that's really decisive. And also um, leadership within these structures is, is, a, is a decisive factor. So, and, and another thing is that I think it's so much in, it's in our systems that we are seeking acknowledgement for what we do. And whether we like it or not, I think financial acknowledgement plays a big role for everybody. And it's, it's very hard to put all your energy and your time into a project without being compensated for it. So either you're compensated and acknowledged on a personal level and regarded as a hero or a leader or an inspiring person from your peers, mm. or you receive a fair amount of money or at least the hope of, of getting it at some point in the future. But if, if nothing like that happens, it's very difficult to, to keep your motivation up. And in my understanding, that's exactly what, why so many promising initiatives are simply falling apart, simply because there is this lack of acknowledging and this lack of building values, whatever they might be. Mm. That's interesting because I think that sometimes what tends to happen when people have these, these great initiatives is they don't want to engage with certain realities, i.e. we're going to need income to support X, Y, or Z, or people might feel exactly as you said, that they deserve some kind of acknowledgement or recognition after some time. And there tends to be a kind of demonization, that might be too strong a word, but demonization of money as an object, rather than, not rather than, but the systems of capitalism that we're all entwined in are extremely complicated and extremely difficult to, to unravel, especially what they kind of do to us psychologically. And so we often face a kind of inability to engage with the reality that is we might have great hope, great dreams, great initiatives, great drive, great motivation and extremely good intention but we need to kind of attach or develop, as you say, a value-based system around that because eventually these problems are likely to creep in. They, you know, These kind of symptoms of the sickness at large in the world are not present for arbitrary reasons. We all play them out on some level as citizens. I was speaking to um, Nika Dubrovsky a couple of weeks ago and she was talking about creating a community of care and a culture of care because she, she was saying, you know, we need to underpin society with these values first before we do anything. And I think it's a really, really extremely pos interesting position. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, if you, if you look at really interesting platforms and projects that have been emerged over the past one or two years 
then it's exactly those that advocate for care structures and integrating invisible labor and uh, care work into our notion of economy and really demanding that we expand our traditional view on what the economy is. Mm. And, you know, of course, a lot of it has also been appropriated by healthcare industries or by, you know, social media. So there is a lot of self-care strands. And, but a lot of it is linked to consumerism or, you know, pricey workshops, etc. But mm, mm-hmm. and also isolated from other people because self-care is one thing, but there's also there are also things such as community care or yeah. you know things yeah. that we pr- probably have not really have not been aware of uh, or have have had a chance to really live in our families and communities. I'm not sure, uh, really depending on the way how people have been brought up. But, you know, if you look at Cassie Thornton's book, The Hologram, this is a really interesting example. So she proposes a structure of, of caretaking among basically three people that are regularly checking in on each other and ensuring the well-being of this of this triangle of human mm-hmm. beings and she has a really beautiful you know uh, a theory created for <clears throat> for that or if you look at initiatives such as the guerrilla media collective they are working together as a cooperative and all they do is rests on three pillars basically it's the paid work it's the pro bono work that they decide mm-hmm. to do for vulnerable organizations and and people and then it's the care work it's the work that one has to do or wants to do when raising children when living with elderly people or when having people in the community that are sick or you know engaging in a community garden there are so many different ways of what care work is and can be for every one of us so they have that in their business model. So it's sort of, it's, inscri- it's inscribed in the organizational model of, 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 the, of the co-op. So uh, a lot of what we have been discussing in, in the field of alternative economies over the past years is really is, is this notion of, of care work. And it's sort of a rediscovery because, um, I, I don't know, it seems to me that there hasn't been much theory around it in the last, I mean, looking back at economic theory, there hasn't been, except of a few mostly female writers, such as Marilyn Waring, for instance, Silvia Federici, there, there hasn't been so much research on what care work actually is and why, why it, it should find its way into the classic notion of economy. Well, I think it's exactly as you know what the the term that you used before it's this invisible labor you know it's this job that happens when you know we lock children away in little nurseries and and then we lock our elderly parents away in retirement homes and like the young and the old don't really have a place in the the world around us certainly not a safe place they're not Mm. provided for Mm. and yeah it's, it's completely invisible and it's absurd you know, I was saying to um, a friend of mine, you know, we should just pay nurses the salary of politicians and pay, pay politicians the salary of nurses. And then we'll see who actually wants to take care mm-hmm. of the country and take care of the citizens. Caregiving positions, despite 
the immense importance, despite being the foundation mm-hmm. of well-being mm-hmm. and of citizenship, they are completely undervalued and underpaid. Yeah, it's it's the same in Germany. I think it's basically the same everywhere, except of few countries that that might have not taken on this neoliberal policies mm. 20 years ago. You know, I, I think the money part is one thing, but it also has to do, uh, the, the, you know, the, this unease um, also has to do with the fact that, that people feel like they have been locked away, as you say. It's also this lack of acknowledgement, again, that plays a big role. So in, in terms of payment, it's, you know, those, those payments are disastrous. So if all the nurses and bus drivers and cleaners, if they would decide to simply abandon their jobs overnight, we would have a huge problem. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the COVID-19 crisis really uh, brought it to light that mm. when we have defined whose children can still be nursed while the kindergartens and and schools are being closed. It's the children of those that that were identified as system relevant. And then this was really interesting. It was not only the children of doctors or, I don't know, teachers, but also the children of bus drivers and of kindergarten nurses and so forth. Mm -hmm. So this whole social distinction fell apart. And that was also the moment when people said, okay, it's great to know finally that I'm system relevant, but what about my wage going up? Nothing happens. Yeah. That was an interesting turning point. And I, I think the money is one thing, but it's also, it's the, it's also this, this division of, or, or this, this cutting off this, this particular part of, of the job taking care of the children, cutting it off from the rest of society, instead of maybe thinking of ways, okay, there are lots of elderly people, they are bored, they would die for, you know, Mm. being needed. Why not trying to find interesting ways of merging these different sectors that apparently have nothing to do with each other, but quite naturally really belong together, you know? Why not organizing like activities with with people from from both sides of the spectrum and and really trying to to bring them together? I don't see any experiments in 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 that way, and I think it's a lost opportunity on so many different levels. So I think the the monetary aspect, yes, that that is one thing, but it's also it's this it's the way our society is divided in different silos that are not communicating with each other. And it's also the way how social work has been looked down on Mm. as something that it's either it has this charity perspective where the glamorous and the wealthy are giving away and they feel really good about it. It's it's either that or it's this, yeah, in, in, in German it's the Sozialarbeit and the and the sozialarbeit is always this thing it's the people on the margins but they don't belong to us they are there and on at the margins and they better stay there because we don't want to have them too close in our you know in in where we live so they better stay out and and i think all of that together this is this is what what the what the 
what the current pandemic now really brought to light, how problematic this, this distinction actually is. God, I can't believe how phenomenal that idea is and yet how obvious it is to you know, combine like nursery care with elder retired elderly people living in you know retirement villages or whatever god like that because that's what you do isn't it if you well, i mean i don't have kids but that's kind of the joke like if the parents have to work they drop them off at the grandparents <laughs> it's such an obvious thing and in cultures where elderly people tend to stay in the family home and be around the family they live longer they have better health they have better mental health it keeps you young to be around young kids. Yeah, I, I think your response now very clearly shows this deep crisis of imagination that we are all part of, because things that seem so obvious, why, why do we need to discuss it, right? Why, why don't we simply uh, adopt them? So one of, the, one of the members of the Money Lab core team is Max Haven, he is a researcher and um, an activist, and he has, he has written quite a lot about this crisis of imagination that sets in when people are exposed to capitalist structures for too long without seeing any alternative to the, to the current system we are living in. Mm. And, and there are many alternatives. School doesn't have the way it is. Our workplace doesn't have the way it is which we, I mean, we, we, are, we have the proof now with most of the people staying at home, in home office, whatever. So I really hope that this corona crisis has maybe one positive thing in the end. And my hope will be that we will, we will slowly start to train our imagination on how things can actually be different. Because whether we like it or not, they need to be different anyhow, because we are facing yet another looming problem, which is, which is the climate change. Absolutely. And it's funny because we're, we're such innovative creatures by nature. And when you look at kind of what goes on in different sectors, in different industries, the leaps being made are amazing. But you're right, socially... We just seem to... I mean, I was reading The, the Origin of Capitalism the other day, and... I can't remember the author, which is terrible. And in the introduction, she was talking about how, you know, this book was in part to prove that capitalism is not inherent, an inherent part of our nature, you know, to lay out the history and show how it evolved. And I was like, hang on, do people actually think that capitalism is an inherent part of our nature? Like, is that how embedded we are in this fairly young economic system that, oh, this is just the way it is. We're competitive and we're greedy and we're self-interested. Because that's not, I mean, the human race would not be what it is today if those had been our um, values from the get-go. And I just think it's amazing because when thinking about like what's going on in economics at the moment, people are talking about the circular economy. They're rolling out the donut model in Amsterdam, which is really exciting. But it seems to me that what you just said mm. about the, these problematic silos and bringing them together, well, that makes something of a circular social economy, you know, like bringing the young and the old together in their first and final days, that kind of, God, I'm going to start singing The Lion King, you know, kind of completes the circle of life and enriches life. And it's a huge untapped potential for socially, economically. And it seems maybe that there are these, well, I don't know, templates that we could take from other 
innovative discussions going on and apply them to the the very overlooked industry of care. You were just talking about the the origin of capitalism, right? Which is mm. uh, it's it's another really interesting research that shows how I mean this 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 basic problem that the the human labor is for sale in the market and that the human labor is regarded as a commodity and sort of uh, yeah very often dehumanized as as we can see in the example of amazon and the way how amazon is yeah. organized these days and what happens if workers are trying to organize themselves in order to be granted uh, some basic human working rights what then happens what, what, what then happened is that they are basically, they get this threat of, yeah, of losing their job, of being replaced by robots, which is very likely anyways. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that is one of the, of the core problems is really the way how, how our work is being considered. And this is also what, I mean, it has to make people profoundly unhappy because their work their working capacity, their intellectual capacity, but also their physical capacity that goes into their work is something that is defining themselves, is part of their personality, is part of their, is, is simply part of their life, of their existence as human beings. So cutting that off from the rest of their social and human experience they are having and building these ridiculous silos in our lives, that is the annual holiday and the Sunday and then the work days, like all these, these categories uh, we invented to, to separate leisure from work. And, mm -hmm. you know, and all of that is, is and that's also, the, this book is a great example of how much we are, we are um, part of this whole ideology. And the irony is that, that every movement that is criticizing the current capitalist system is very often mocked at or regarded as ideology. It's either called socialism or it's called uh, utopia or whatever. But it's, it's like, you know, there is no space for it. There is no space for a discussion on how things could actually work in a different manner. And I see that especially happening here in, in Europe, in these countries where rather elderly, privileged people are ruling their countries and where there's simply not enough young people and the younger generation doesn't have enough say and enough visibility. This is really something I, I, see, I see happening in Germany. If I look in Asian countries, if I look into Africa, I see a lot of countries, you know, where, where I don't know, where every third person is, is under the age of 18. This is a huge potential. This is also a potential for change. Mm -hmm. But I don't see that potential in, in my country, for instance. And that is really a shame. Yeah, Europe seems to be a bit of a dying beast, unfortunately, um, coming to the end of its reign. And I don't know what it is. Like there was this young um, uh, member of parliament that was elected when she was about 23 in Scotland, Mary Black. And she was phenomenal. She was so bright 
and she was forthright and she was so motivated and now she's tired it's just too much like the absolute bullshit rigor rigor of having all of these kind of rules and traditions and nonsense in play like you know where is there actually room to make change when you have to jump through all these hoops yeah 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 Yeah, yeah, exactly I want to um, get into alternative economies here. Like, what are what are the things that are coming to light? What are the themes? What are the the examples that you're most uh, excited about? That you have the most hope for? Um, where can people put their energy? Yeah, there are there are. I would say several fields they uh, can put their their energy on. It's just it just depends on what seems to be most important for them. Whether it's basic income, whether it's helping to organize local economies, whether it's healthcare or whatever. There are uh, certainly a number of super interesting initiatives that are emerging these days. So talking about um, community currency. I would really encourage people to look into circles. It's a basic income project. It's based on blockchain. So basically people create a wallet and then they are giving each other trust. That's the name of the token. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the name of the token is circles, but trust is, is the currency, if you will. The idea is to, to, create, to create as many circles as you can by giving each other trust. But you really need to spend the circles on, on, on your local economy. So that is, that is really uh, important. It has to be spent. There's, there's, it's not possible to hoard the money, but you really need to, you need to spend it. Mm-hmm. And it's, the idea is to... to to find ways of being in, in an economic transition with each other, not creating scarcity in doing so, but acknowledging what you get by giving or receiving circles. So this is a, a project that has started. It's launched. People can create their wallets. And Circles is now seeking for companies and local retailers, businesses that are willing to accept it's a little bit like like the regional monies that have been created over the, the past years and decades even. So it's just a way to uh, detach uh, your value system from the finance uh, market. I, I think what's really interesting here is that these projects are super complex because they are, they are about uh, token design, they're about finding a value system that works. They are very much about communication because it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing communication job to really make people invested in projects like that, especially people from your neighborhood that haven't, have never thought of that before. So I think this is a a great example for people to get involved and testing it in their own neighborhoods. Help me, help me break it down because it's so, it's such a foreign concept, isn't it? So what does the currency, what what is the, does it equate to any financial value at all? No, it's, it doesn't. It's, it's not that the idea is not that you are super engaged and then at some point you simply convert your circles into dollars and then you're Mm. off. No, it's really about creating an economy that is independent from the finance markets, meaning that creating a transaction means 
that allow people to keep track of their transactions, that allow people to create a fair system of giving and taking outside of the economic structures that we have been part of for so long. Mm -hmm. And that involves uh, a lot of trial and error, of course. And that's also what makes these systems so vulnerable. And that's also why a lot of people say, oh, this doesn't work. It's utopia. It's, you know, it's, 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 this is basically, it's just a game for people who have too many times on their hands. But actually, I don't think that is. I think it's a very, it's a pioneering work that people in this field are doing. They can't provide like a added value that fits for everybody, but this is really it's something that that those people that participate in these projects they need to figure out to what extent it brings value to them and to their community. It's really something that has to be adapted and mm. tested, and that's that's what makes it so difficult because we are living in a time of convenience. And we are very much used of, of getting this, you know, these this short punchlines of advantages of a product. And we also expect things to simply work for us, the plug and play mentality. But for projects like that, it does not work. It's the same as working uh, with open source technologies. A lot of them simply don't deliver as we are used uh, from other tech platforms. And that's also the great threshold that keeps a lot of people from simply engaging in projects like that. Because we are slowly but surely, we got so used to this plug and play mentality that we lost a lot of our ability and our patience to dig into systems that really need a lot of development and collective thinkings. And we lost the willingness to make our to get our hands dirty in, in really engaging in some groundwork because it's simply very complex. Yeah. And sometimes I'm a little bit worried about people turning too much into consumers and losing the ability of really embracing the joy of developing something from the ground up. And that simply is dirty work and complexity. Yeah, I had um, somebody else on the show, Blake Shaw, who talked about the necessity of giving every single citizen on, in the world like coding skills and technology skills because he was saying like this is the only way that we're going to be, be able to emancipate ourselves at a given moment and people need to learn to as you say do the work people need to learn a the skills and then b apply those skills to these kinds of projects because i mean otherwise our, our needs and our problems are going to continue to be homogenized by these kind of supranational states, which makes it very, very difficult to engage with any change on the ground, because obviously every community has its own needs, as you say, they need to figure out what's important to them. Yeah, it's, it's really true. I, I think that it's, most people are, are simply not aware of that this is that this is also an ability that people people can can lose the ability or this this you know this this sharp mind of an inventor that is surrounded by a lot of problems you can lose this ability if you're surrounded by too much of convenience yeah definitely i mean what what do we have to ask for what do we have to create for ourselves 
if the world were to come to a grinding halt tomorrow i mean i know i'd be screwed i don't have any real skills <laughs> so tell me then about money lab and how that fits into creating or discussing alternative economies yeah, so MoneyLab is a platform that has been around for, I think, seven years. It, it started off in Amsterdam. Gerd Lofink, the founder of the Institute of Network Cultures, he basically invented MoneyLab as a place and a platform where people can meet and discuss and work on economic alternatives. So it has several dimensions. It works on the... It works on the creativity side, which also touches down on, again, imagination and envisioning other worlds. It touches down on the tech aspects, really understanding the tech and making use of it and playing with it. It has a, a component in this entire money theory and what money is and how we can use money and all the functionalities of money because that's really interesting and uh, we tend to know very little about it. And then the fourth aspect is the activism and it's the finance activism and that is growing stronger year by year. So MoneyLab is trying to follow different developments that are taking place in the world of money and finance. And an example of that is, for instance, the, the, the GameStop rally happening over the past weeks. You already talked about it earlier. Uh, so we organized a, a call-in show where very spontaneously, which with just one day notice, almost 100 people showed up to discuss what was going on and engage in this collective sense-making of what happened there, right? Is this like regular people simply trying to pay their bills? Is this revenge on Wall Street, is this protest pumping the GameStop stocks? So what, what happened there? And it's, it's really interesting because no matter how trained people are and how much expertise they have in the field of money and finance, there is no single one who can really provide the, the, the true analysis <laughs> of, of what happened there because it, it's like, it's another moment in time that makes us speechless and that makes us look up and looking at the world and it makes us it gives us a certain understanding of possible motivations of people but we can't make fully sense of it because sometimes i think we are not even able to fully grasp our immediate present so how how shall we be able to really make predictions into the future right now so MoneyLab is a place for people to, to look at this phenomenon of making sense of it. It's a, it's a space for, for people explaining their projects, for training others the skills that you should have when you engage in uh, community currency projects. It also offers space for discovering value systems and so forth. So MoneyLab Berlin, which is going to take place from March 26 to 28, uh, and which is funded by the main capital fund. It's the Hauptstadt Kulturfonds here in Berlin. And it's really lovely that we get an artistic fund uh, helping MoneyLab Berlin. It's, it's nice because very often our proposals have been turned down in the past because these have been considered economic topics. But now... It's really nice to get the acknowledgement from 
the arts and culture sector as well. So basically, uh, in Money Lab Berlin, we will talk about finance activism. We will talk about community currency and basic income. We will talk about alternative ways of financing for arts and culture, but also like real world problems affecting most of the people in Berlin, such as the housing crisis and Mm -hmm. Amazon that wants to build a warehouse, our headquarter there, and people are are people are protesting and revolting against it so these are basically the the topics we will cover in two and a half days wow fantastic can people get tickets for that how do they get involved well um basically people can follow our live stream they can engage uh via chat we have quite a number of talks and panels where people either can call in contribute via chat and then there will be online workshops So since we got the funding, it's possible for people to take part for free for the most part of the program. And yeah, we will we will release our our program by next week. So the lineup of speakers is already set. Mm. And now we are working on the final stages of the program. Cool. I will make sure to put that in the in the show notes so that people can get contact you and get involved. I think we're kind of coming to a, a quite nice natural end here with that focus on Money Lab. Tell me, is there somebody that you would like to platform? Yeah. Hmm. Theoretically, I know so many people I could platform, but, <laughs> but I would love to uh, introduce you to both Blanca and Julio from Circles. I think these would be brilliant people for you to, to talk to, but I'm very happy to put you in touch. Oh, that would be great. Please do. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much, Ella. This was a fascinating conversation. Yeah, thank thank you. you. I really enjoyed it. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Don't forget to get your Money Lab Berlin tickets for free for the event this week. After that, head over to www.platformenterprise.com and subscribe so that one day I won't be dependent on a Silicon Valley oligarch. (laughs) All right. Thank you everyone for supporting the podcast, really. See you next week.